The Body Love Binge is the podcast for you if you're so done with living in the hellhole of an eating disorder, hating your body and constantly wishing you were thinner. If you're truly ready to heal from anorexia, bulimia or binge eating disorder and genuinely make friends with your body, then you're in the right place. I'm your host, Victoria Kleinsman, a food freedom and body love coach, eating disorder and abuse survivor who's on an absolute mission to love and support millions of women to come back home to self-love and intuition eating. If it's possible for me, I know it's possible for you as well. Thank you so much for being here. I'll see you in the episode. Welcome, queens to another episode. I have a special guest with me today. And before I press record, I was practicing saying her surname. So let me give it a go. So I have the incredible Lilia Bogova with me today. And Lilia is a somatic practitioner, musician and coach who developed her mind-body practices after struggling herself with anorexia, bulimia, addiction, and depression from childhood to adulthood. She is dedicated to teaching people how emotional trauma hurts your body and how to heal. She uses body-centered therapeutic practices to teach anyone struggling with emotional wounds how to love your body and make friends with your mind. I love that. In addition to MyoBeat somatic coaching, Lilia is the front woman of a metal band, Pocasa, I'm sure she'll correct me if I say that wrong, a competitive power lifter and animal lover. This makes her the expert on how to pursue physical performance goals whilst loving your body and keeping a healthy mindset around the various facets of life. So without further ado, Lilia, welcome to the Body Love Binge podcast. Oh, thank you. I'm really excited to be here because I love your podcast too. So it's an honor for us to work together like this. It is. I'm really excited to dive in today, but you already know what's coming, right? Because you're an avid listener to my podcast when I interview guests. (laughs) Let's dive into the 10 quick fire questions. Are you ready? Yeah. Okay. Number one, favorite food? A tie between sushi and chocolate. Oh, nice. Number two, favorite time of the day and why? I say the morning because I feel the most centered and focused. Number three, complete this sentence. Powerlifting makes me feel empowered and confident. Number four, describe self-love in three words. Okay. Well, let's see. Centered balanced and confident oh i love those so number five favorite animal a dog and a cat both of them we know side note because i always do this when i was younger before i understood science and biology i legitimately would talk to my friends and be like imagine if you got a dog and a cat and then bred them like what you would end up with a cat dog Okay, number six, complete this sentence. Emotions are your friend. No. Okay, this is quite, I'm I'm excited to hear your answer to this one. Number seven, if you became prime minister or president tomorrow, what would you change first? Okay, let's see. I would change 
I would say more protections for animals. Mm, I like that. Okay, number eight, three things you love about yourself. The fact that I am really good at reconciling things that seem not to fit together, Mm. like working through contradictions and putting a direction to that. Love, that's one. I always have valued a lot being friends with myself and value um, being centered and helping myself above looking good to other people. Mm. Then number three, that I put a sense of humor to what I do. So you'll see our discussion today, even when we're talking about dark subject matter, I put this sense of lightness and energy into it. I love that. I think that's so important. It really is. Yeah, it's like like this nice spoonful of sugar that makes the medicine go down. Yes, exactly. Mary Poppins was that, I think. Yeah, yes. She was right. Okay, two left. Number nine, your favorite color? Pink. Pink? Probably not pink. It might actually be red. I'm like, what? I think it's red, actually. It's too red. All your logos are red. Yeah, I would say red. <laughs> Mine too. Kind of obvious. Well, my branding is red. Okay. And last question. What do you want people to take away from this podcast? Okay. How important it is to make friends with your mind and feel at home under your own skin. Mm. And before we go into, I mean, it's very intuitive the way I do things anyway. So as you know, I do have like questions outlined for you. Before we go into those, Lilia, I would just love to hear um, your background story in 10 to 15 minutes, if you can, on your experience with addiction, eating disorders, and kind of how you got into that and how you got out of that, where you are today now. Yeah, like you summed it up pretty well on my bio in the beginning. So I was always the one who had a lot of ambitious goals. So I really wanted to be my best and do my best. But within those kinds of ambitious goals, you can have this tendency to try to hyper control how you feel and what you do. And as poly addicts will say, like, it's all the same, basically. It may look a lot different. For example, anorexia versus drinking alcohol okay those can look a lot different but when you think about it it's all the same because let's say eating disorder you're restricting your food you might have a list of forbidden foods that you're not allowed to have with substance abuse let's say if you're drinking a lot what you're trying to do there is restrict your emotions you have basically a list of emotions that you are and are not allowed to feel it's like Food, emotion is basically the same. And even when it comes to the food restriction, well, you can see when you dive into it further, it's not even about the food. Let's say if you're restricting sugar, not just about the sugar, it's about the way that that food makes you feel. Or if you believe that consuming it says something about you that you do not like. Like for example, when I got really big into trying to pursue CrossFit at one point. Well, they have this kind of diet culture that says you can eat a lot. Yes, do eat a lot of food, but it has to be certain kinds of foods. They drill it into you. Um, Sugar, that's banned. You should be ashamed of yourself because if you eat sugar, that shows you're not disciplined and focused. So then you have, see you have 
the fact that you're supposed to restrict sugar, but it's not about the sugar. It's about the fact that it says you're undisciplined. So it's not that you're really trying to restrict the food itself. You're trying to restrict that feeling of being indulgent and impulsive. Like, no, I'm going to have control. I'm going to have control. And that's what it's all about. So for me in my life, it's always been this interplay of, of course, I want self-control. That makes you feel empowered and self-control is a good thing. I'm a Christian and they even say in the Bible, you should pursue self-control, but it doesn't mean what people always think that it means. It doesn't mean that you control the hell out of every single feeling you have and every single thought that you have and every single thing that you do and everything that you eat. It's a lot more this interplay between what you can and cannot control. It's that interplay between the self-empowerment and the acceptance yeah what do you think now the position that you're in now having done a lot of healing work and I really do love that you go right to the root because that's the only way to create lasting transformation right what do you think that you can control or what we can control as humans now yeah that's a really big question very very big question but of course, the number one thing you can control is your own actions and decisions. Of course, there's this whole like reptile brain under that that can do its own thing. So I feel like it is recognizing that there is a part of your mind that cannot process everything at once. You always have certain kinds of instincts and feelings like you can't always control how you feel but you can control your interpretation of it and the direction you choose to take from there yes i agree fully lilia i i personally believe that we can only control how we respond to life how we respond to our thoughts that come automatically otherwise we're just in the illusion of control Right. Yeah, exactly. And that's why a lot of us get into eating disorders, because you do want to have self control. That's what underlies them. A lot of people who don't know about it think, oh, those girls are just so shallow. They only care about how they look and they just want to be really skinny. But what tends to be more the underlying motivation is getting self-control and feeling ashamed of yourself when you cannot control some element of you so that's what i meant earlier by making friends with all parts of your mind even the ones that give you thoughts and feelings that you do not like because if you're trying so hard to eliminate every single bad feeling the second it comes up and feeling so, feeling bad about feeling bad, then you're not accepting that part of yourself. You're not allowing yourself to be a full human being. If you start to be afraid of your bad feelings, it's like literally you fear part of yourself. And yeah. then that gets us in this whole shit spiral. Yeah, absolutely. And I used to reject part of myself all the time, primarily physical aspects of me but of course under the physical was the emotional things that were driving the lack of physical acceptance okay so one of the questions I have for you is to do with emotional trauma and eating disorders and the question specifically as you know is how do emotional trauma and eating disorders feed on each other but before I allow you to answer that do you think that those that develop eating disorders have to have had some kind of emotional trauma 
I mean, honestly, so I'm not necessarily the expert on that. But what I've found just by looking at people's stories is that usually they do actually just by observing all kinds of people's stories about their eating disorder and why they had it, what was motivating it, especially when it's something that went on for a very, very long time. I mean, someone can have you know, some disordered eating for a couple of years, but when it's like your case or my case where it lasted 20 years, like there's a reason for that. It's not just because you're seeing these ads of skinny models. It's not just that. There's always going to be something more emotional underneath that. So whereas oh, I can't even say whether everyone with an eating disorder had emotional trauma, but definitely a lot of them had for sure. And sometimes you don't even realize it, you know, especially if it started in childhood. Like for me, I started restricting and dieting around 10 years old. You know, at that age, you're not super analytical of yourself. You kind of you're more impulsive and mechanical or reptilian, just do things that come to mind. So at that age, you're not gonna realize conscientiously what you're acting on. But you know, the older I get and I can see things in a broader perspective, I can realize the kind of emotions I was trying to vent out through that. Yeah. Do you mind and obviously if you don't feel comfortable sharing it's absolutely fine but I know that one of the things that I would love to invite you to do more of is share your personal story so do you mind sharing what trauma what emotional trauma you experienced that you think drove you to the addiction and the eating disorders oh yeah yeah, that's kind of complex well let's see what I can share of that is that Well, let's see, because I'm thinking about how to say it in a way that makes sense. But yeah, like I said, I started restricting a lot when I was 10, 11 years old. There were a lot of things under that. I know my family was pretty non-traditional because my parents actually came from Bulgaria right after the Soviet Union was falling apart. So I know they were harboring a whole lot of stress. And I feel like as a child, I specifically remember that I wanted to gain some sort of sense of self-control around that. I'm like, okay, I'm feeling stressed. It was kind of hard for me when I was coming, because at one point I lived in Bulgaria for a couple of years and coming back to the United States to start school. And I was really not belonging there because I was coming from another country. And they say that I had the strong accent and didn't you know have an easy time communicating with people there's that there was also the i'm just going to summarize this real fast but when i was really little my best friend was a boy and we you know we like to play together but sometimes he's like do stuff to my body sometimes i'm not gonna go anywhere farther than that otherwise stuff to my body and i mean i do you very much agree when they say that kind of stuff makes you feel self-conscious of your body and kind of ashamed that now you're harboring this big dark secret? Yeah. I'm like, okay, I'm little, I was like, you know, kindergarten, first grade age. I know that I did something naughty here, but I can't put my finger on like what it is and 
you know, what to make of it. Like, should I say something about it? Should I not? When you're really little, you'll probably veer toward not saying it. So yeah, harboring that kind of secret that is related to like, self-consciousness about your body, that is something. And then when I was a little older, like 10, 11, I was into sports, which is great because sports, I mostly did gymnastics and cheerleading and dance. Those did a lot to help me feel very self-confident. So I think that that was always a good thing that I did because it gives you that route to feel control over your body. And it's basically that mind body somatic experience, like a mind body connection you get out of training those things like gymnastics stands. I started cheerleading at 10 and it happened that my best friend in cheerleading, she clearly had a lot of eating disorder type symptoms. I mean, she was underweight, you can see. She was a pretty bony girl, you know, skinnier than other girls really should be at that age when they're going through puberty. She was pretty resistant to puberty and your body changing. She seemed to have something like a binge eating pattern because she would go on restrict like, no, I don't want to eat. I'm a picky eater. No. And then one day just eat a lot of junk food, like straight up junk food, like well, nachos and candy and things with no actual nutritional value. And then, oh, then restrict and then binge. So it seemed like she had that going on and rubbed off on me because I was like, yeah, I was an athletic kid, so I was that 10, 11, 12-year-old who had muscle tone, but then she would go, oh, I have a bony butt. You have fat on your butt. Fat, fat, fat. <laughs> she could say, like, yeah. the fact that I actually like, had something, some you know, presence to my body, she would call it out for something. She'd be like, oh, my God, you weigh like 70 pounds. I weigh 50. <laughs> those, mm-hmm. those kinds of things go in off on that so like at those ages like 10 11 12 i was battling between both of those i was like okay what do i embrace being an athletic kid being very swole and strong or do i try to conform to what my friend is doing at that time in I don't know about in the UK, but in the US for sure, there was this big trend of thin is in. So in addition to my friend, there was also all of pop culture who was praising weight loss and this big like pandemic of celebrities being super skinny. So I was really at grips with both of those, like which direction do I pursue? What went through my head though was that I really wanted to have this project that I can control for myself. So my first eating disorder was anorexia. Of course, I started flirting a bit with restriction at 10, but I really got into it at 13. And it was mainly motivated, not even by weight loss and trying to look good and be skinny, but rather by wanting to have some sort of project that I do entirely for myself. I really wanted to own something in myself. And then I think one more thing that influenced it was I was actually a frequent migraine sufferer since I was like four or five years old. So I get those vicious migraines where the whole day you spend the day vomiting and dizzy and dazed and confused. So 
I do think that that influenced my relationship with food a bit because when you have these patterns of one minute you're feeling good, the next minute your head is practically throbbing and you're dizzy and you're vomiting, you can't eat because you'll just automatically vomit it right up. It does strain your relationship with food, I think, because there will be these periods where not only is my body kind of unpredictable, like I literally can't predict an hour from now if I'll be feeling good or if I'll be in bed with my head throbbing and puking in a bin. I don't know. It can go either way. And then also having those periods where food does make me sick right away. Like, okay, while you're having a migraine, I'm hungry. I want to eat. So I might try to eat, but then I just puke it right away. So it shows that food can be friend or foe. Then after I get over that, I would be extra, extra hungry. And then I want to eat extra. So that created some habit of inconsistent eating and a feeling of not being in control of my body too. So I'd say that all that stuff combined to make me really crave um having this one thing that i fully own so that's what the first eating disorder anorexia was really all about not much of it was actually about the weight loss itself yeah wow and thank you for being vulnerable Ilya, because you've heard rebecca say this before um and i say it too like your story has the potential for the keys to unlock someone else's change just by you sharing so thank you um, I'm curious if you don't mind sharing I know I'm asking a lot of you today with your vulnerability <laughs> what were you addicted to and when did that come in okay yeah it's like this big this weird spiral right so <laughs> it's like so I was really into the eating disorder anorexia when I was like 12 and a half going on 13 up until 16 so by the time I hit 16 it was this like transitional period because like I said I made a big deal over self-control so I did recovery pretty much on my own not much outside intervention um, at that time general doctors didn't know much about it at all they were just like oh just eat what of it what of it just eat yeah. <laughs> like there was no empathy like at no point did I ever have somebody who I related to I didn't meet anyone else going through an eating disorder it was basically felt like me versus the whole world mm. at that point because I didn't do recovery with anyone else and that was also a little bit before social media came out so I didn't even listen to podcasts or channels about the subject it was really like just me and my problem against everyone else who's normal and stuff like that so anyway that's just a bit of context for it to make a little more sense but yeah when i was like 16 17 i was at a normal weight but i could feel that in my head it just felt different to be in my mind and in my body i was a lot more hazy kind of out of it dissociated a lot more often but then i really wanted to start fitting in with people because before i was very isolated so i wanted to just make friends go to their get-togethers fit in with them so oh when they you know kids in late high school you know they started drinking a bit i started doing that too because 
I actually had this weird headspace where I felt like alcohol was a good thing for me because it shows I don't fear no calories. <laughs> Before mm -hmm. that, when I was in anorexia, I wouldn't have been okay with drinking because I know high calories and it makes you store belly fat. So I felt like alcohol was me rebelling against the eating disorder. I was like, yeah, I'm gonna conquer this thing because I show I fear no calories and I don't care that it could build belly fat on you. So yeah, there were some times when I was drinking very abusively, but then in my later teens, like 19, that I got to be like, like get your shit together. I really wanted to get my shit together with that stuff. And music was a very good outlet for me then. Like I said, I'm in the metal band Carcasa. Carcasa, that's it. Yeah. Did I say it correctly when I yeah. introduced you, Carcasa? Yeah, yeah you did. Yeah. Amazing. And at that point, I wasn't yet in the band Carcasa, but I was starting to play guitar and sing <clears throat> and, you know, starting to be in groups with other people. So that was a really good outlet for me to balance between like, expressing my emotion, but through a specific purpose, you know, because mm -hmm. before if I was just trying to drink a lot or starve myself, um, another thing that I did in my teens was that self-injury thing of, you know, cutting yourself because why it's a kind of pain that you can control and have vents out your frustration through that. So um, music was a much better outlet than all those other things. But I still like still struggled with waves of severe depression that would sometimes come unexpectedly. Like when I started going to college, for music I was 19 going on 20 I was really happy I'm like this is a great place for me to be in but uh, for some unknown reason I at one point just started getting a lot more tired and like okay I'm gonna slow down a little bit I'm not gonna practice too much more than I have to because I'm I'm feeling lower energy then I just fell into this humongous boom of extreme depression. It seemed like someone just flicked the off switch to my entire body system. I was like, I go from 100 down to almost zero pretty suddenly. And then it was like every single day, the worst things that I felt kept coming right back to me. So and I could even feel them on my skin. Like, for example, there were times I actually threw up in my mouth a little bit because my head was really fixated on like those times I spent vomiting and feeling like I was dying and all that kind of stuff. So, but of course, what I did to work through that wave of depression, I mean, I even was tried it, that brain base, like, because I've not experienced like clinical depression before. Of course, I felt depressed. What was the difference, right? Was yeah. that actually your brain chemistry not working as it, as it should, or you think so? Because I mean, I'm now I'm not any neurology expert, but I have uh, I heard a lot that. <clears throat> Like migraines and depression have a correlation. If you have migraines, certain aspects of your brain chemistry are a little unstable. You're more likely to develop depression. Again, I don't think anyone fully understands that link. And then also trauma too. It can go through these waves where 
it's really buried and waves where it surfaces so again yeah, i'm not totally sure of the mechanisms behind that i just know what i felt <laughs> I, I even tried to, sometimes i was like man i'm just gonna go to sleep earlier i'm just gonna go to sleep early maybe i'll sleep it off and relax a little bit then of course all my dreams are about death so i'm like oh, nice. that didn't help either like that didn't help either but what made the difference for me is actually i did this thing like a somatic experience that's when i learned how to metal scream so if you listen to my band Caracasa, i do this thing like or die and stuff like that for me that was a somatic experience so what i would do is when i realized that i cannot escape these feelings when i felt the um physical feeling of the trauma surface under my skin i was like well i can't escape it not by not thinking not even in my sleep so i just i um recollected myself like screaming and i was like I wonder if I could do that on command. My God, that would be really cool. I could use that in a death metal song if I could like scream on command like that. So I just tried it out. I was like, okay, if I really feel the way that I felt when I was at my most agonized and allow that to come to the surface, but then project through my voice, I give it that direction instead of just being like, oh, I hate this right now I give that specific direction I was like oh I can do that and that was actually fun I was like those five minutes I spent metal growling that was the time that I actually felt good in this I was like okay I'm gonna do a little bit more of that I'm gonna work that up so that's what got me through these things it was being able to allow the bad feelings that I can't just control away allow myself to feel them and get into it, but then give it a sense of direction. And that direction, I did metal screaming. I also did like playing guitar, also dancing, like dance improvisation ever since I was itty bitty little has been a really big thing for me, a really big help to me. Because in all of those, you let yourself feel the feeling, but then you let it go in some kind of a direction and the fact that you see that you can direct it gives you that feeling of self-control which is what you really craved it teaches me when i do that teaches me that i don't have to fear certain feelings or certain parts of my mind because they can all have their purpose oh i need to stop there because that is so key what you just said with and i say we because i've been there too and i'm still human we're so scared of feeling. We think that we don't really stop to think, but we're so scared of feeling a feeling. We try and avoid it in any way, but we can handle feeling a feeling, especially as you've shared, bringing it up and expressing it in a direct, safe way. That's actually honoring the feeling and getting it out, right? 
Yeah, it is. That's exactly what a somatic experience is like. I mean, unfortunately, I didn't fully understand what I did at that point, and other people didn't fully understand. I mean, it takes some time to fully recover mentally and physically from something like that. So then it's like, I had it, I had a really good direction. And then I let it get all messed up because like other kids in school, they had this thing where they wanted to be like really, really productive and hardworking and driving all the time. Whereas I was struggling a lot with my energy levels with feeling like daisy and not dazed, I hazy, dazed in my head, struggling a lot with lack of mental clarity. So then I started to feel really ashamed of myself for having that struggle. I was like, well, shouldn't I be better by now? Like, how long does it take? You know, it's not a you just come out of it right away sort of thing. So it was that feeling of being really ashamed of letting myself go to that place because a lot of people were giving me the advice of, oh, just don't just don't think about it and it won't affect you. I was like, that doesn't work. But yeah, that's actually what got me into having yet another wave of eating disorders and substance addictions in my early 20s because I didn't trust my own process at the time. And I feel like the way that you gauge if something is effective is you do the thing and then you take it away <laughs> and you see what happens when you take the thing away. See what happens when you try to just do what the others do. So, but yeah, if I had had more faith in holding on to it, that would have been a lot better. But yeah, in my early 20s, I got into another wave of extreme um, food anxiety because I felt like I needed to get hyper self-control. So then that led to like one day I was having a lot of these, like I said, like um, trauma surfacing moments, I was like completely out of my head. So then I was venting it out on like eating everything in my fridge and then vomiting it up. And that was, again, that was not motivated by me saying, oh, I'm gonna gain weight from this. It was just impulsively, how can I vent out all this frustration right away? So yeah, I got into bulimia for a while after moments like that, and then got into narcotic drugs after that because I tried actually getting therapy for bulimia after like a year of doing it because I kept going, oh no, I can gain control of it. Mm. Oh, I'm not gaining control of it. <laughs> so I was doing like a lot of binging and vomiting and also drinking abusively too. And then, um, I had this, like a boy I was seeing who wasn't a very good influence. He did illegal drugs like meth and cocaine. And I said no to him a bunch of times, but just one day it was like, after I realized that my therapist and I were not a good fit because he really wasn't seeing me the way that I needed to be seen, basically. I just had this mindset of, I was like, I mean, this bulimia will kill me anyway at this point. I mean, neither one of them is really better or worse than the other. Whether you have an eating disorder or you're doing drugs, I mean, they're both bad and they can both kill you. So it was like, I had this feeling like, uh, who gives a shit? We're all going to die. So that was the time I actually said yes to his offer to try that substance. It was crystal at that point because I just you know, I had that feeling like it 
surrendering basically I just surrender to these impulses and stuff like that so that is how you can tell if a very connected mind body experience is good for you or not is when you do it see what happens when you don't do it again see what happens so how did how did you heal from that and again thank you for sharing because i'm sure so many listening will be able to relate to either all or parts of your story so how did you start the journey to where you are now then helping others yeah yeah so i just realized like hey you have to go back to what actually works at this point in my early 20s, I had a period of being this massive poly addict. I was like, I'm addicted to everything. I had bulimia. I was into Coke, Crystal, and alcohol. And then sometimes I tried other sedative pills that people gave me because that's how it goes. You're like, oh, I took too much of a stimulant. Now I need something to neutralize it. Take a, take a sedative. Oh, I took too much of that. Let me re-stimulate. That's all a behavior of you trying to hyper control how you feel all the time. That's exactly what substance abuse is. It's like, oh, I feel sad. I need something to pick me up. Oh, I'm way too agitated. I need something to bring me down. And you can never just let yourself be right so i just had to go back to what i knew worked i was like even if no one else around you understands this thing you just have to do what's good for yourself i told myself so just reconnecting to all of that having again more appreciation for why i did things like music dance and training and letting that purpose come through instead of you know trying to find people who understand it or whatever you know be okay with the others around me not understanding it because i'm like maybe eventually you'll understand it when you see the final result or not but either way the like one of the lyrics I wrote in a song recently goes, weight of the earth cannot crush my worth. That's what it is. I like don't give into the weight of the world. Feel your worth. Also, uh, That's more beautiful because after all of what you've been through, there was still a part of you that knew you were worthy of healing yourself and I'm sorry I'm sorry but at the same time I'm not because you wouldn't be the woman you are today but I'm sorry that that therapist didn't give you the support that you needed right oh yeah and even my first therapist when I was uh, in my early teens going through anorexia it was weird because I was on this medication it's like an antidepressant I guess anti supposed to stop feelings of depression and OCD type behaviors, but it all it did was trigger my migraines more. So there I was like 30 pounds underweight, taking something that made me have more migraines, more vomiting. And then at the end, they would say, oh, look, you lost weight again. Clearly, you don't want to recover. And all you care about is being skinny and losing weight. Oh, I was like, I mean, that thing that I took that gave me migraines, so I couldn't eat, you know, <laughs> but and that that distorted my why a lot because I knew that the eating disorder was a self-control thing. But then they 
you know, like doctor adults around me kept digging into, oh, you just want to be skinny like them models, right? Then that distorted it for me. It distorted my whole sense of motivation. And I just got to this point where I felt like, okay, I am not escaping this and I'm doing bad for other people. I'm ruining everything in the family. So yeah, I did get to that point where I felt like I'd be better off dead and I literally planned ways to make that happen. Same thing in my 20s when I had that huge poly addiction thing going on. I was like, you know, I went back to that mentality, but sometimes I hear voices. <laughs> I hear voices. I literally heard this thing saying, just embrace the loneliness now and someday you can do something that the world will really care about okay something like that now more recently i got more connected with god and i'm a christian you can see this tattoo over here if you're watching it's beautiful. i was gonna say well that was clearly god speaking to you and you had to be open yeah. to receive that right yeah and you know that happened at certain times when I didn't understand what that was, but I felt like I should follow it because I'm like, I'm, I'm not getting anything better from other people around me. So I'm like, I should follow that. I mean, not that I wasn't getting anything good from other people. I just mean that I didn't feel like anyone else could relate to how I felt. But I hear voices like that. I feel like that's something that I should follow, even though I didn't understand it. I was like, yes, that, that sounds good. I was even going in my mind. Oh. I'm still here. I can hear okay. you and see you. It's all good. Okay, that's really weird. I just, yeah, my computer glitched for a second. I couldn't see you for a second. But yeah, I was just running in my mind about like, what do I really want to live for? I was like, what do I live to? get a good job and make money and buy a big house. I was like, uh, that didn't seem like it mattered. When I was a teenager, okay, do I live so I can keep pursuing gymnastics and win gold medals? Like, uh, that didn't seem worth it now because all that stuff fades, it's very transient. But for me, that voice saying just embrace this now and then later you'll do something that the world will really care about and then you'll have the connection that you crave, I was like, that sounds good. I want to go that way. That one sounds good. I'm going to choose that. <laughs> yes, I can literally hear God saying, okay, don't look at them. Look at me like eyes up here, girl. Yeah. So it took me a while to understand it. I mean, luckily, my now husband, he's a Christian. So it helped to be able to hear him talking about God and how God is. He had the idea of going to church regularly. So he moved to Alabama in 2020. And you know, Alabama is the one of the most Christian places in the US. So there are lots of churches. And that was a really good outlet for me. I know that it's not everyone's cup of tea. I understand that some people don't resonate as much with the Bible and Christian theology, but for me, I felt like it just explained a lot of things in my life. It explained why the things that worked, worked. Why what didn't work, didn't work. It was like, it didn't work when I felt like I was under the weight of the world, just going by earthly desires, ego driven. All that stuff didn't work. I never got to 
scare myself straight by, oh no, if you have eating disorders and addictions, you won't succeed in your job. That never actually worked as a motivation for me because why that is all earthly material transient fading kind of stuff and that's not the kind of stuff that really makes a soul want to live what does is like this kind of meaning you know doing that thing that helps other people see the value in themselves i mean so that's why i got this tattoo i keep wanting to remember i um, you know, if you're listening to this on an audio podcast, you won't see it, but it's that cross on my wrist so that I can keep having that physical reminder. That you're supported and guided. Yeah, I'm supported and guided and also to have faith in what I can feel really works. Yeah. And what I can feel doesn't work, be okay with just shoving that away. Yeah. So let's go on to like the people you help, the clients you help. Can you give us some tangible exercises, somatic experiences or practices that has helped you and that you, I know everyone's different, right? But that you would recommend to clients who are struggling from addiction or and eating disorders to, to heal? Yeah, well, it happens that I recently launched my new course. I call it Overcome the Spiral Descent. Now, Spiral Descent is a title of a song by my band, Carcasa. It's about someone slipping into madness. And the routine I have you do there is a somatic practice because what you do is you connect to the rhythm and the meaning of the song. You um, basically like you sing along with the song lyrics but you don't have to be a good singer you'd kind of just chant along with them it's that kind of somatic practice with your voice like i talked about earlier where you don't need to make a certain tone or stay on a certain melody but you just let the feeling come out through your voice so you let yourself be honest with how you feel you use the song lyrics as a guide for that and also act it out with your body. I, for example, one of the lines is, is it me or is it crazier in here? You can, you know, as you say that, feel it, mm-hmm. act it out, feel how that emotion stays in your body. So that course is a good way to have something more specific and tangible to guide you. Because in addition to the lyrics, I also have you act out certain practices. Like there is a part in it where you take any small object and you imagine imagine channeling all of your negative energy into that object and seeing it as being outside of you so that you can feel how you don't need to carry all the negative energy as a part of you. You don't have to think I am my negative thought and feeling. You can see it as being something that you can look at. It's next to you, but it doesn't have to live inside of you and you don't have to live through it. So that's kind of related to externalizing it or cognitive diffusion it reminded me of that like the idea of being able to see your negative energy and do away with it it's related to that another exercise that's in that course is one where you are miming yes because i draw from a lot of different disciplines you Imagine building a wall that represents your negative energy and internal tension, and then push that away. 
literally like the mime building that invisible wall and you push it away so again show that you can see your negative energy and do away with it because you don't have to identify as it because that's why we get into a lot of these dark spirals it is when you identify as that darkness as being a part of you so this is just to help you see that it doesn't have to be that way and you can be your own person without that and overall what you want to do is just be honest with yourself about how you feel about certain things because if you deny that you have a feeling you can't work through the feeling it's like if i tell you don't think about an elephant Really? I haven't just thought about it. Automatically, there comes an elephant in my mind because the subconscious um, is language, is, is graphics and pictures, right? Not words. And it just creates it there. Oh, yeah. Like, do not answer this question. What is two plus two? <laughs> do not say, do not think about the number four right now. And that's how it is. Like, the harder you try to not think about because I got this advice from a lot of people oh when it comes to emotional wounds just don't think about it and it won't affect you I mean no lock- that is so bad it's so BS because when you just lock your negative feeling in a Pandora's box yeah. I've observed people who live that way literally I know personally people who've had a lot of trauma and they deal with it through the Pandora's box method yeah. I see that that Pandora's box of dark feeling controls everything that they can and cannot do. That's when I hear people saying things like, oh, Lilia, it's so cool that you're a lead singer of a metal band. I wish I could be a lead singer, but I just have too much stage fright. I can't be in front of people. And you know, that is that Pandora's box. It's preventing you from doing something that feels aligned, you know? Yeah, it's keeping you stuck. And yeah, how can you can you speak to someone who is in an eating disorder and with the eating disorder, it's driven by thoughts, obviously, as everything is. Can you give us any tips on how to quiet that voice and choose a pro recovery thought and then action as you're recovering? Yeah, of course. I mean, I would say that a lot of it has to do with being in touch with how your insides of your body feel when you're having that food anxiety. Because whatever eating disorder you have, there's always going to be a feeling of anxiety and tension around food. So recognizing how you feel in that. And you can use somatic practices to help you quiet those physical feelings. So let's say if you can feel your heart rate increasing when you're about to eat, you can take some deep belly breaths and that actually helps to regulate your heart rate, helps to slow it down. I think if you notice tension in your shoulders, I mean, the upper shoulders are a part of your body that tends to carry a lot of physical tension when you get stressed, you can tell your shoulders to relax. You can do a progressive muscular relaxation. So that is wherever you feel tension in your body, you can tense and then relax that muscle group. You're like bringing it up. Okay, I feel tension in you. Now I can tell you to relax. And that gives you that sense of autonomy over your body. That feeling of control, which is what you really want. You can show yourself that you can uh, get that self-control through your own 
actions instead of trying to control your diet, things like that. Another thing that has helped me a lot recently is just knowing like, hey, you don't have to feel this way. You don't have to feel anxious around the food because I do believe that when you have anxiety around eating, it is because part of your subconscious thinks that it's protecting you. Now, part of your subconscious thinks that this food is dangerous for some reason. Like, for example, when I got more into bulimia and binge eating, when I got some sort of a food that I felt would be a triggering binge food, like pie or ice cream or a variety of chocolate truffles, I wanted that food to be gone ASAP. I was like, I want it gone somehow, whether I eat it all at once just to make it gone, or whether I have my husband eat it, or if, can I give, give it, it away, or someone just needs to take it away? Gone, because I don't trust myself around that food. Mm-hmm. If I get a pumpkin pie, I'm like, oh, I've binged out. I've eaten a whole pie and vomited it all before. So I don't trust myself around that thing. Okay, you don't actually get anything out of this food anxiety. You really don't. There's nothing good for you there. Your subconscious might think that it's protecting you, but you can tell that part of your subconscious, hey, you don't have the right idea about this. You're not protecting me by making me nervous around the food and the idea of eating, okay? And that's when you can do these kinds of somatic exercises like channeling it into an object or building a wall out of your negative tension and pushing it away just so that you can show yourself that you don't have to embody your thoughts and you don't have to be that negative thought. Yeah. I used to say to myself, I am not my thought. I am the thinker of my thoughts. And I'm just going to observe what's going on within me. So I can observe my anxiety, my fucking freak out because I've put weight on. And I can just ah, come back into my body. Like you said, you can't mindset your way through a trauma response. You need to come back into the parasympathetic. And then you can use your mindset to be like, well, what's so bad about that? Or is this really true? But it's both and, isn't it? You can't just mindset your way when you're in an anxiety response. Yeah, of course, because that goes into certain elements that you can and cannot control. So obviously there are factors in the world that you can't control, like the weather and the economy, but there are also factors within your own body that you can't fully control. There are mental reflexes, just like how there are physical reflexes, like that part of your knee when you knock on it, Mm -hmm. it makes your leg extend. I think that also works in your mind as well. So, but I think that you are going to be in the right place when you are more connected with your mind and body, when you can be conscientious and aware. If you feel your heart rate and your breathing rate jump up and your body tenses in certain areas when you're about to eat, Don't deny that you have that tension. That's exactly like saying, don't think about a pink elephant right now, no matter what. It's like, don't deny that you have it, but see what you can do about it. Have you ever had a client? And the reason I asked is because I thought I was completely alone in this until I interviewed someone, Alana, for my podcast. And she's a food freedom coach too. And she said, oh my God, I had had the same thing and I don't have it anymore but every time I used to eat chocolate or then it progressed to like any food my body would be like and then I couldn't 
I was fine mentally, I was chilled, but my body was like trying to get a breath and I couldn't because of the P diet PTSD and I was doing something so wrong eating. Have you ever had someone experience that before? It's similar, yeah, because everyone's body does it differently. So, so and some people, their body will respond with the feeling of breathlessness, a hyperventilating. For other people, it'll be the heart rate jumping. For me personally, what happens is my brain gets really dissociated. I feel like my brain is starting to float above my body. That is hyperstimulation mm -hmm. from the nervous system. So I've heard, yeah, I've heard about that before, but I think that a similar type of phenomenon, like diet trauma related responses to food can present themselves in a lot of different ways. And I do think that it's important to understand that however it presents for you is valid. So one person like yourself, you, your body might respond with hyperventilating or you know, feeling breathless. Another person's body might respond with being really hazy in the head. Another person's body can respond with a lot of heart rate jumping or with muscular tension. And, you know, just because your response isn't the same as someone else's doesn't mean it's not real and valid. It is, you just have to understand how it presents for your own body and also what your body is trying to tell your brain about this, right? Yeah, so I would soothe myself through it and just take a few breaths and be like, it's okay, sweetheart, you're doing nothing wrong. And just kind of parent myself through that and then I could like ask my body to like physically relax because I didn't even know I was like this until you become aware then I was like relax and then now you're allowed to have pleasure because I had a fucked up relationship with pleasure I mean this is another oh, yeah. topic altogether but how how would you describe your relationship with pleasure now compared to back then when you experienced all of what you shared yeah uh, that is very very important to talk about because I've had a lot of thoughts in my head like not being deserving of good things and now the Bible talks about this a lot that you do not get redeemed through your works that there's basically nothing earthly and material you can do that will secure your salvation it is accepting the spirit working in you living that out well, yeah, I've had a lot of those kinds of thoughts, and that's why I was trying so hard to hyper control everything about myself. Like, oh, don't eat this junk food because it shows you're not disciplined and you should be ashamed of yourself. Or, oh my God, I am sad. I'm not supposed to be sad. I'm not supposed to be tired. So I need to take something that'll bring me up. Or I'm not supposed to be nervous right now. I need to take something that'll mellow me out. Or, well, yeah. it's allowing yourself to have a human experience and get curious about what's going on. Yeah, sometimes you can harbor a lot of shame. Like I, I harbored shame from feelings like you know, remembering back when I felt like I wrecked everything in the family with anorexia, mm -hmm. even shame from harboring secrets of you know, things that I did with I don't know, like the little boys doing things to my body story that I shared earlier, kind of harboring this shame of a secret I had to hold for everyone else that I feel like it says something bad about me. I feel like it shows that I am too indulgent mm -hmm. and I should not be indulgent. I felt like I needed to be an absolutely perfect 100% 
in control person to be worthy of feeling any pleasure. And that is not it. In the Bible, they share a lot that you need to accept the feeling of the spirit moving in you. If you do that, you can even find pleasure in very dark places. Mm. And that has been a big factor in me that helped me recover from anything is seeing the value that even a bad feeling can have and actually perceiving pain and pleasure as being related to one another. Yeah, I totally get that. The reason I'm nodding so much and I do need to wrap up in a moment is I've read a book which sounds sexual, but it's not. It's called Existential Kink. And it's basically saying having is evidence of wanting and what we say we don't want part of us wants it and gets pleasure from that. Otherwise we wouldn't choose it unconsciously. Yeah. And so she talks about that, like having the really quote, negative, painful experiences, but actually being able to be in pleasure feeling that. And there's, this is quite deep. You, someone needs to be ready to do this work, but I really resonate with that. And that's what I'm kind of, I've been working on myself the past year is, is that. Yeah, sometimes it is so crazy how something makes us feel bad and horrible, yet you can keep going back to that thing. Mm-hmm. You know, whether it's like an uh, abusive situation in some way, or you abusing yourself, or like, I hate this, yet I keep going back to it. That is because some part of your subconscious is getting something out of it. So you need to convince that part that you're not getting anything out of it. Like, so for me, it was the work of um, convincing my mind that you're not getting anything out of being anxious and stressed and worried about food like okay i understand what you're motivated by okay i understand that what motivates this is that you want me to feel in control of myself you want everything to feel safe but that is not the way we're gonna do it okay taking what's the word i'm looking for taking taking charge not control taking charge of your own mind like mindset mastery in a way like being the master of yourself but from a loving compassionate place so you're choosing things that serve you and are not harming you yeah because I got into extremely obsessive workaholism at some points because I you know I've been into dance now I'm doing powerlifting, guitar playing and then coaching too so I've had these moments where I felt like I needed to be fully in charge of myself always working always super productive I couldn't stand any kind of emotional vulnerability in myself I had to be nothing but strong all the time I can't show weakness but I can't even feel it in private you know I had to mute these certain feelings and that's what led to all that eating disorders and poly substance abuse shitstorm cycle. So I was had to teach myself the value of everything that I could have. Wow. I mean, I've got one question for you before I ask you how to how you support people and who you work with. And that question is, well, I want to start off by saying thank you for everything you've shared, your story. I, I was really interested in hearing your personal story. Yeah, my pleasure. The fact that you are standing where you are now, Lilia, just shows what an incredibly strong soul you are and your your love of service to others is just so beautiful to witness. So thank you for being here, first of all. Secondly, yeah, thank you for having me on this platform too. It means a whole lot. 
No, you're welcome. And secondly, before you you share how you can help people, is there anything that I've not asked you that you perhaps want to share before we wrap up? Well, yeah, I'd say that it's important to understand that you can love your body while still pursuing physical goals. So I do not have any plans to quit things like powerlifting competition. That's something I got into pretty recently. Uh, but our music performance, I mean, there I am putting my body in center stage and on camera. And of course, people comment on it all the time. And of course, that can be triggering in some ways, or it can be something you simply brush off like, oh, this person said these words, mm, whatever. <laughs> so that kind of headspace to get into for that, it took some, you know, a lot of work on my part, because at first, so I got into powerlifting and the eating disorder part of my brain said, holy shit, weight classes. And it was using it as an excuse to get all weird about, oh my God, they're going to weigh you. And then there's your weight that... It, Oh, well, weight classes, then what should I eat? Should I restrict blah, blah, blah? I was like, okay, you know what you got to do? Think about what this actually means to you. Like, why do I like powerlifting? It's because I feel empowered and I feel self-control and I can relieve stress through this thing. So it's a mind, body, somatic experience. So there, I'm going to eat and train in a way that reflects that purpose. I'm going to let my body be in whatever weight category suits it for the reason that I'm doing it, for what I actually want to get out of it. I love that. Yeah, I don't necessarily need to get out of it being the champion. If I am the champion, it'll be because I channeled my why in the right place and i gave my body and my mind what it needed to meet that goal mm -hmm. so that's the kind of headspace you can put yourself in if you need to still like let's say if you don't want to abandon your passions if your passion in life is something that uses your body and that puts your image out in front of people of course that can be triggering but at the same time you can put yourself in a good mindset to have the right perspective and it's all about channeling your why and then you can your body will tell you when you are on track with accomplishing that purpose and when you're drifting Mm, absolutely and that all you can only notice that when you're in connection with your body so when you're embodied not just kind of disassociating or only living in your brain I say mind because your mind is every cell of your body but in your brain right yeah. and so who do you help and how can people work with you Lilia yeah so I, over the years I've done personal fitness training I do music instruction dance instruction now I'm putting it all under the umbrella of somatic work that's mind body connection work so the kinds of people who I help it can be someone struggling with body image issues or with dark thoughts that they can't get over but I would do it through a mind body perspective. I work with, you know, I still teach music, dance and fitness, but instead of teaching it just through a technical perspective, I teach it through a somatic perspective. So let's say you wanna learn voice with me, you wanna learn to sing. We wouldn't just be doing technical singing like matching pitch and stuff like that. It would be about how you can embody the character in the song, what emotion the song is presenting and how that emotion feels in your body and how you can channel that through your voice. Wow. <laughs> 
if you're an athlete, it would not be just about, oh, your technique in doing the lift. There are other coaches who are really great for that kind of stuff. For me, it would be helping you make sure your head is on straight, <laughs> helping you understand your purpose behind why you do that, and to eat, train, and move in a way that reflects that purpose. And for example, athletes is a good example of a person who can work with me and work with another coach. So mm -hmm. let's say if you really want to go to nationals for powerlifting, you can work alongside a very technical powerlifting coach who is themselves a national champion to help you with all the intricacies of your technique. And you can work with me to help you stay on the right path to make sure that this is something that is helpful to your whole mind, body, and soul, and not something that'll get you on a tangent of weird body dysmorphia, bad relationship with food, because it can go either way with things like that. Yeah. If someone's struggling with an eating disorder and they want to work with me, ideally you would be working with me for somatic work and with your own therapist or recovery coach who is specific to that because there are certain elements that are better to work on in cognitive behavioral therapy and there are these elements of mind-body connection which is where a somatic practitioner comes in so it is something where i can work alongside another person you're working with so if you are interested in the somatic work that i do it's not something where you would have to just choose me and abandon whoever else you're working with because I'm not meant to be a full one-stop shop for everybody, but it is something that you can integrate in all the other kinds of personal work that you have to do. And to make that easier, I have a combination of personal coaching with me or online courses. So like I talked about the one, Overcome the Spiral Descent, that's a course in the MyoBeat app, M-Y-O-B-E-A-T. And that's the flagship course that's featured on the top there. And it is a two week course where as little as 20 minutes a day of practice, you can do these mind body trainings to help yourself get more honest with your own feelings, see how you can observe your dark thoughts and do away with them but again all through body-based practices i also integrate my musical creativity because i use my song spiral descent as a theme of that so you can it is something that prompts you if i just tell you oh feel an emotion in your body that can be kind of ambiguous mm -hmm. so the song it gives you a rhythm yeah that is something that gets you you know, kind of gets your body wanting to move. It gives you lyrics that the lyrics serve as a prompt. So similar to how you have journaling prompts, yeah. the lyrics there serve as a self-reflection prompt. And that gives it a sense of cohesion around all of this. So basically you can work with me one-on-one -on -one or with pre-recorded content. The MyoBeat app is the best place to look for that. Again, M-Y-O-B-E-A-T, available for iOS, Android, or even your desktop, because there's a web version you can access on the internet like any other online course. And then you can also visit my main website, which is myobeatathletics.com. And there you can see information about what I do.
Amazing. I'm obviously going to link everything below. So for ease, ease of access to you. And actually, after you sharing exactly what's in that course, I'm there's one person in particular that needs needs that in their life. So I'm going to recommend I might actually even buy it her buy it for her. She's one of my clients. So I think awesome. what you do is so necessary. So many people talk about mindset, which is important, but they miss the energetic embodiment, somatic experience part of it. And that can be, is life-changing. So thank you, Lilia. Well, thank you for um, allowing it. Sorry. Thank you for allowing me to share it on your platform, because I feel like people on your platform, a lot of them need to hear this because um, people with eating disorders are always going to be very somatically driven, you know? It is something where you are venting your emotion through your body. And there's this misconception that the answer is, oh, just stop thinking about your body. That's not the answer because that's the kind of uh, person you are by nature. You're a person who wants to be connected with your body, but you just need the right avenue for it. So mind-body connection is always a good thing, but you can do it in a way that's either destructive or constructive and helpful. So I will help you make sure that you can do it in that helpful way. Yeah, amazing. Thank you again, Lilia. And thank you, Queens, to, for listening and watching. And I'll see you next week. Lots of love. Bye. Yeah. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share, subscribe, and leave me a five-star review. Your support means the absolute world to me, and it really does help me to get my podcast out there for those that need it. Thank you.